You know, Jesus had a plan when he was on this planet. He started preaching, the Bible says, when he was 30 years old, and he died when he was about 33 years. So during those three years that he was working and, and building a ministry, he didn't just sort of hang out and wait until it was time to die. No, Jesus, when you read about Jesus, seemed to have had a plan. And the plan that he had would eventually change the whole world. His plan was this. He picked 12 people, 12 guys, and he trained them, and he taught them, and he changed them so that after he died, rose from the dead, and went into heaven and providing forgiveness of sins for the entire world, there would then be 12 people behind. So instead of being one Jesus, there would now be 12 Jesuses. And those 12 people would go out and do the same thing. Today, even though we live thousands of years later on a completely different continent, whole different culture, we still can implement the principles of this same plan. We can take the beauty of it, the genius of it, and the principles of it, and we can put them into practice wherever we are, whatever we do, whatever circumstances we are in, to make a difference in the world around us. The Bible says that Jesus chose 12 people as part of his plan. And when you look at these 12 people, they were very different people. You know, they came from a wide variety of backgrounds. One was a federal employee. Uh, one of them was a political activist. A couple of them were part business owners and laborers who worked. You know, uh, some of them were even physically related. They were related to each other. But one of the things that I take a lot of comfort in, one of the things that even though these guys were very different, one thing that held them together was they were all losers. They were. When you look at them, they weren't picked because of their incredible spiritual pedigree. It wasn't, it wasn't like Jesus said, you know, Peter, I see what you've been doing over there in Bethlehem with that group of people, and I'd like you to come join. No, there was none of that. These guys had no spiritual pedigree that made them worthy of being picked by Jesus, except for one thing. They all shared a common heart, a common desire, a common want to be like Jesus and to be taught by Jesus. So this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at their heart. Just take a, a little glance at some of the things that made up the kind of hearts that these people have. And we, as we talk about going back to school, I want to talk to us about going back to spiritual school, to opening ourselves up, to being like these guys in their hearts toward Jesus. And to ask us the rhetorical question of, if Jesus were to come back today and start all over, would he pick me? Would he pick me? Not because of all the great things I've done in my life, my whole spiritual resume, but would he pick me because of my heart? Let's look at some, some examples of this in the scriptures today. Luke chapter 11 is where I want to start reading from. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. When you look at one of the characteristics of the heart of these disciples, is they had this heart that said, teach me. Teach me. I mean, this is an amazing story, right? A disciple comes to Jesus, and and after seeing Jesus praying, he says, the disciple says to, to Jesus, hey, teach me to pray. Now, what's amazing about this story is that likely, it doesn't say this, but likely this disciple was a Jew. And as a Jew in this time, probably had grown up praying at some point in his life. Maybe he wasn't a very good Jew at this point. Maybe he was. I don't know. But likely, because of his religious background, he'd probably already learned how to pray at some point. So there's a lot of humility to go to Jesus and say, hey, teach me to pray. But even if I'm wrong, right, in my hypothesis, even if this guy never had prayed ever in his life, there's still an incredible amount of humility for a person to go to somebody else and say, teach me something really basic. Teach me one of the fundamental tenets of of spirituality. Teach me to pray. You see, what's amazing about the heart of the disciples is they had this attitude that said, teach me, teach me. It does take a lot of humility and a lot of vulnerability to allow yourself to be taught things, especially if they are basic things. You know, I have a four-year college degree from Syracuse University. Yep, come on. My two fans out there. Well, you're not my fans. You're fans of the Lord's school. I understand. But unlike other people, I did not finish my degree in four years. Instead, I squeezed my four-year degree into 11 years. And what I decided to do, <laughs> I started my degree right out of high school. So I was 18 years old when I began this quest. And I went to multiple different schools and eventually ended up at Syracuse, where my degree is from. But as I was getting close to graduation, 11 years later, I realized that there were a sequence of classes that I needed to take. You know, one of many colleges require, especially like in math, you got to have a sequence. So I needed a calculus sequence in order to graduate. Back when I was 18, I had taken pre-calculus in college. But here I am 11 years later realizing, wow, I need the second class. So I signed up for Calculus one. And I got there to class, right? And you understand that most people take these classes like one after another. So day one, the professor just dove right in. He's like, you know, we we were required. This is back in, you know, the olden days when you had to have those calculators. Remember, you know, those big, giant, you know, $1,000 calculators that you only used a few times. And then, you know, you're like, what do I do with this thing? But yeah, we had to have one of these big graphing calculators. So Day one, professor just dives right into class. Just dives right in and says, okay, uh, uh, if you look at your calculator, open your calculator, you know, to pay, or open your page here and, 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 and punch this, this code into your calculator. And, and if you look up here, he had it projected on the screen, you can see that the arc's here. And he just like dove right in. And everybody's there punching in their calculators and taking notes and doing their stuff, except for me. I'm sitting there and I... I raised my hand and I said, uh, excuse me, professor, 
And he said, yes. I said, I'm sorry, one quick question. How do you turn this on? And everyone in the class did what you just did as well. I wasn't, it wasn't a joke. I was, I was, I did not know how to turn the machine on. So here's the old guy in the class, not knowing how to operate and do something basic. Now what I'm trying to tell you is it takes a level of vulnerability to open yourself up and ask a basic question. Something like, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to do one of the most basic things that people, you teach me, help me learn. This was the heart of the disciples. They had a heart that said, teach me. So the question for you and the question for me today is this, do you have a teach me heart? Do you have the vulnerability? Do you have the humility to say, hey, teach me something basic? Help me to understand something that I may already think I have a grasp on, but I'll be open to learning. Do you have a teach-me heart? Do you take responsibility for your walk with God? You see, that's what you're doing when you say, teach me. You're not just sitting back and making sure people tell you what to do. You're looking, you're, you're owning where you're at, and you're saying, here, I need to grow in this area Teach me, do you take responsibility for your walk with God or do you blame other people or other circumstances for where you're at spiritually? A teach me heart takes responsibility for where you are and says, hey, I need to grow and I'm okay being open and say, teach me. You know, I think too many of us, we just, we come to church with the, hey mom, what's for midweek sort of attitude? right? What's for, you know, just feed me. Come on, I'm here. I made it. All right, put some spiritual food in my mouth. Come on. What? What, what? what are we doing? Come on, teach me. And that's our attitude. We need to take the initiative for our spiritual lives. We need to be people who pursue Jesus. We need to be people who pursue people who can teach us. We need to have a quiet time. We need to dig deep in the scriptures. Some of us, we don't even know the Bible that well. Let me illustrate. Turn over to Hezekiah chapter six. Yeah, if you're turning to Hezekiah chapter six, that's my point. Hezekiah isn't in the Bible. Hezekiah was a king, but it wasn't a book, and there's certainly not six chapters. So if you're looking for Hezekiah chapter 6, that's my point. You need to learn the Bible. Come on. I know a couple of you are like, I didn't, get, I didn't catch me. I knew it. I know. I knew it. I was watching the rest of you guys. I know. Listen, it takes time to be a learner, but it begins with a heart that says, teach me. So the question for us today is this, do you take responsibility for your own spiritual condition? And do you then say, hey, teach me, teach me. 2 Timothy 2, 22, it says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call out of a pure heart on the Lord. It says, pursue righteousness, faith, 
and love and peace. Just don't wait till it passes by and maybe you'll grab on. No, pursue it. Go after it. Go after righteousness and faith and love and peace. That is the heart that says, teach me. Teach me. Let's go back to school. And let's be people who are willing to say, teach me. Let's look at another heart that these guys had. In Luke chapter 9, a couple chapters back, let me read to you Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bags, no bread, no money, no extra tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet. When you leave, their town is a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now skip down to verse 10. They come back. Right? It says in verse 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. You know, not only do you see in the disciples a heart that says, teach me, but you also see in the disciples a heart that says, train me. If you look at the circumstances or you look at this scenario, this is part of Jesus' plan. Jesus takes his 12 guys that I was talking about and he sends them out. He sends them out with specific plans. He equips them. He says, here's what I want you to do. Do this, do that, do this. And they did it. They went out and then they returned. And when they returned, guess what they did? They reported to Jesus what they had done. This is how it went. That is called training. That's what Jesus was looking for. He was training his men. You see, having a heart, having the heart of these followers going back to school, it means spiritually that we have a heart that says, teach me. But then it also means you have a heart that says, train me. There's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching implies more of an imparting of knowledge, you know, sort of a transfer of ideas. And teaching is important. Go back to point one that I just made, right? Teaching is important. But teaching isn't training. Training is different. Training involves the preparation for a specific task or job. That's what training is. Jesus taught everyone. But he only trained a few. Jesus' plan was to train people. We call it, in this fellowship, discipling. Discipling is a word that somebody made up. It's the verb version of the word disciple. It's the idea of going to make a disciple. That's a a noun. A disciple is a noun, but if you turn that into an action, you call it discipling. It's the act of making a disciple. That's what Jesus told us to do. You remember that. That's training. That's what training is. Sometimes we get freaked out by this. And for some of us, like me, if you've been around for a long period of time, people talk about discipling, and it brings up all sorts of weird and bad and negative feelings, and rightfully so. 
People have made a lot of mistakes in the name of discipling. But it's still a biblical concept. Training people like Jesus did is still a biblical concept. And by the way, none of us here are Jesus. That's not what we're saying here. You're being trained by somebody. That doesn't mean that that person is Jesus. There's only one Jesus. And Jesus is Jesus. And none of us are him. But that doesn't mean we can't train each other. That doesn't mean we can't teach each other and train each other. Sometimes we get freaked out by discipling. I remember years ago when we were in North Carolina, one of the elders of the church came to me, an evangelist, and said to me, he said, hey, who's discipling you? So I thought, being all smug and smart, I said, Jesus, bro. Jesus is discipling me, bro. To which he very quickly said, well, if that's the case, then we should expect a lot more out of you than we're getting. So, I was like... I was like, okay, amen, you got it. I'm just saying, sometimes we get a little freaky when it comes to discipling, and we, we don't like to talk about discipling or training. Would you go to a doctor who hadn't been trained? No, of course you wouldn't. You know, the doctor's like, ah, oh, I see you have a rash. I have a coffee can of leeches. Let's go ahead and see what we can do here. You'd be like, no, no, get some training. That's not how we handle these things. Would you get on an airplane with a pilot who hadn't been trained? Of course not. When it comes to training, we're very serious, especially when it comes to important things. What is more important than our spiritual condition for all of eternity? We need to have a train me heart. That's what Jesus was looking for in his followers. The truth is, training, it happens all the time. Tomorrow's Labor Day, and I'm going to run in a race tomorrow. That's right. I'm running a race. It's an epic. It's a big race. It is. It's, it's a huge race. It's like, it's like 5,000 meters. I mean, it's like huge. And um, the common man might go like 500 meters. I'm going the whole 5,000 5,000 meters. But guess what I've been doing? I've been training. Wouldn't it be odd if I wasn't? If you're like, yeah, I'm running a race tomorrow. Oh, really? Have you been, been, been training? No. Just going to kind of let the spirit work. Really? I know. I, I can tell you how the spirit's going to work then. No, I've been, I've been running diligently, training for the race. My wife and I did a bathroom renovation years ago in our house, and we did the whole thing. We stripped the whole bathroom down to nothing and rebuilt it. But I'm not a contractor, right? So I would be doing some work, and then I'd get stuck and not sure where to go. Well, there's a brother in the church. There was a brother in the church who is a contractor, so I would call him up, and I'd say, hey, man, this is my scenario. What do I do? And you know what he would do? He'd tell me. He'd go, well, hey, you need to do this or do that. Or sometimes he'd even come over, and he'd show me. This is what you need to do. He was training me. And then when I saw him at church after that, guess what he asked me? Hey, how'd it go? And my response was, why are you asking me that? That's none of your business. It's my bathroom, bro. No, that's not what I said. I didn't say it at all. I said, oh, it went great. Or, oh, I had this problem. Or he was training me. He was telling me what to do and then following up with me on how to do it. This is part of 
the master's plan. This is what it means to go back to school is that you and I have to have a heart. We got to have a heart that says, teach me and train me. I appreciate the brothers in my life who train me. Even as an evangelist of 20 years now, I still get training. I want it. You know, I appreciate brothers like Sam Powell. I appreciate brothers like Steve Kennard, guys who have been in the full-time ministry probably as long as I've been alive, right? Well, maybe not. Okay, I'm not, you know, I know I look young. But, uh, but these guys have been doing it forever. And they're just like a treasure chest of knowledge and experience. And of course I go to them and I say, hey, what do I do? I want that training. I need that training. That's the heart of a disciple. Teach me and train me. Training requires accountability. And quite frankly, that's why a lot of us are not excited about it. You know, a lot of us, I'm afraid, or some of us, we have zero accountability in our life, spiritually speaking. Zero accountability. You know, you just kind of do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. You come as as you want. You go as you want. You show up for church and you leave. Listen, if you want to be trained, it's going to require some accountability in your life. This is why we have structure in the church. This is why we have Bible talks. This is why we have leadership. This is why we make fall plans. Because these things help us with our training. We're not, we don't worship our structure, we worship our God, but our structure helps us with our training as we glorify our God. That's how all of this fits together. But listen, there's no amount of structure that will help us if we don't have the train me heart. That's what we got to start with. We got to start with the heart that says, train me. Listen, I am not asking you to act dumb. That's not what I'm saying. There's people here who have been Christians for years. We've got Christians, people who've been Christians here for decades. You know stuff. So I'm not asking you, I'm not saying you need to pretend like you're dumb. Uh, Bro, how do I tie my shoes again? Can you, I just want to have a good heart. No, man. What I am saying brothers and sisters, is to take an honest look at yourself and say, wow, here is an area that I need help. Here is an area where I need some growth. And I'm going to find somebody who's had some success in that area. I'm going to find someone who's been through it. And I'm going to go to them and I'm going to say, hey, teach me and train me. Help me out. That's what I'm calling all of us to do, is to grow. Listen, God really needs us to train when it comes to leadership. You know, last week here in Brooklyn, we shared a vision. It's a crazy vision. A vision of having a small group, a Bible talk in every neighborhood in Brooklyn. Currently, we have 28 Bible talks, and they represent just 14 neighborhoods and amen for that, those 14 neighborhoods. But what if, what if we worked to bring a, a Bible talk to every neighborhood in Brooklyn? What if we did that? You know what that's going to take? It's going to take leaders, which is going to take training. We are building God's church in New York. We need more elders. We need more evangelists. 
We need more women's ministry leaders. We need more Bible talk leaders. We need more song leaders. We need more deacons. We need more ushers. We need more board members. We need godly mothers. We need godly fathers. We need godly husbands. We need godly wives. We need people who can just lead somebody to Christ. And all of that takes training. Nobody is born knowing how to do that stuff. So if you don't know, there's no shame in it. You just got to humble yourself and say, hey, teach me and train me. I want to be used by God. Let's go back to school. Let's be people who are willing to say, teach me and train me. And lastly, let's be people who are willing to say, teach me, train me, and change me. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Luke 8, verse 22, it says, One day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. They got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Squall came down on the lake, so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Verse 25, you guys okay? No, I was, okay, and I wasn't asking you. I was like pretending that's what Jesus said. It was sort of a, it was a, but I'm glad you're okay. I was pretending that Jesus turns to them after this or, or, ordeal and says, you guys okay? You all right? It was tough, right? It was difficult. I'm glad you guys are okay, but that's what I was saying. But is that what Jesus said? I was trying to make a point. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what he said. After this intense ordeal, he looks at them and says, where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is an amazing story. It's amazing because when you study the life of Jesus, he was always compassionate towards people and their weaknesses. And people came to Jesus with all sorts of weaknesses, physical weaknesses, spiritual weaknesses, uh, all sorts of weaknesses. They came and he showed incredible compassion. But one area, as you read about Jesus, that he never tolerated, especially amongst those who were his followers, was this, faithlessness. He never was okay with faithlessness. I mean, it's amazing that here these guys think they're going to die, right? That's their conclusion in this incredibly bad situation. So much so that they wake Jesus up. Jesus, get up. We're going to die. We're going to drown. And Jesus takes care of the scenario, turns to them, and says, where's your faith? And I, as the reader, read this, and I want to say, whoa, whoa, come on, Jesus, Come on, man, cut them a little slack. I mean, this, this was legitimately bad. It's not like they couldn't find a parking spot, you know, okay, yeah, or, you know, the, the train was running late. Okay, yeah, those things definitely test your faith. But here they think they're going to die, Jesus. They think they're going to die. Cut them a little slack. But Jesus doesn't. He says, where's your faith? Truth is, that's when you need faith. That's not when you need to be weak on yourself with your faith. That's when you need to be strong in your faith, is in those incredibly difficult 
circumstances. But I think the bigger lesson of this passage that I just read to you is this. The bigger lesson is Jesus expected them to change. His expectation was that they would would be different. See, prior to what we just read, these guys saw lots of miracles. They saw and heard Jesus' teachings. They saw Jesus heal that guy or heal that person or teach about this or teach about that. But then all of a sudden, it came down to their lives and they were scared. And Jesus is almost saying to them, no, 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 huh? No, you don't get to, this doesn't get to be okay for everybody else and not for you. It's got to apply to you too. All of the teaching in the world, all of the training in the world means nothing if it's not in your heart. Jesus expected people to change. And so Jesus is looking for people who say, teach me. He's looking for people who say, train me. But he's looking for people who say, change me. God, I know I'm not okay where I'm at. I need to change, not just on the outside, but on the inside. Jesus is not looking for people who will just execute a set of rules. That's not why he bled and suffered and died on a cross. He wasn't hanging up there going, oh, good. Well, at least they'll get all the Ten Commandments right. That's not what he was after. He was after our hearts. He was after changing us. He wants to change you. Listen, I have known people in my years, and you may have known these people too. They can plan an incredible church service, but they can't figure out how to forgive somebody. I mean, you tell me what's more important. Being able to know the right number of songs that need to come before the opening prayer or being able to trust God enough and let go when somebody hurts you even when they're not sorry. Which one do you think God wants? What I'm saying is, God's looking for a heart that says, change me, man. Change me. Change me on the inside. The greatest obstacle, I think, to real change for many of us is we're just too busy blaming. And often it's either people or circumstances. If the people around me were different or if the circumstances I'm in were different, then I could change. And though we may not say that, that swirls around in our hearts. Listen, I know people and circumstances can be difficult. Absolutely. That's legitimate. Absolutely. But the point of the Bible, and I've read the entire Bible, that one of the points you see in the Bible over and over and over and over again is that godliness comes by choice in spite of people. In spite of circumstances, listen to some of the examples you've read about in the Bible. Noah, Moses, Nehemiah, Deborah, David, Jeremiah, Joshua, Ruth, Peter, Paul, Stephen, James, and of course, Jesus himself. People who chose to be faithful, chose to be godly in spite of circumstances, in spite of the people around them, chose to be like Jesus. That's the heart. 
that says, change me. You see, the moment that we start blaming others is the moment we become an obstacle that someone else has to overcome now. And we don't want to be that. Don't do that. Just own your condition. Just own it. Say, yep, I'm me. This is it. And I need to become more like Jesus. Jesus wants a heart that says, change me. So my question that I have for us is this. Are you for real? Are you for real? I mean, I know that we come here and we hug and we, we clap and we sing and all of it's awesome and I love it. But it's also easy to just sort of hide and do the external things but not really be something on the inside. So my question is, are you for real? I got invited a couple years ago to go to a Brooklyn Nets basketball game at Barclays Center. And it was a great game. Um, it was the first time I'd ever been there. It was a great stadium. And uh, we had great seats. Somebody gave me some, some tickets. And it was amazing. But it was difficult because I, I've never really been a Brooklyn Nets fan. I'm a New York Knicks fan. I know I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah, this is before the Lord moved me. Change me, Lord. And... No, but I, I, so I didn't know anything about the Brooklyn Nets. I knew one or two players, and that's all I knew. And so while I was at the game, right, I'm sitting there during a break, I go into the restroom, and there's a bunch of guys in the bathroom, and they're all talking about the game. And listen, guys don't talk in bathrooms at all, period. So this is obviously very important, because they're all talking to each other in the bathroom, and they're talking about how great the game is. One guy is like, just starts talking to me, yeah, isn't it great? And he starts going through all the players and their stats, and I'm sitting there, I... I have no idea what he's talking about, right? I mean, you know, I'm all for the New York team winning, you know, I, you know, over the Indiana team. It was great. But, you know, I was like, I was like, ah, uh, and I was like, yeah, you know, they're doing great. All right, man, see you later. And I just left. And even though externally I sort of put up a nice little smile, inside it wasn't for real. It wasn't for real. I don't know anything about what he was talking about. If we're not careful, that same thing can happen to us today. We come to church, you know, we're hugging, we're clapping, but on the inside, there's turmoil, there's fires, you know, there's troubles, there's difficulties, and we're just stuffing it away, we're putting it down there. You know, listen, you can still smell rotten food outside of a refrigerator, you know that, right? I learned that the hard way. You put something in the refrigerator, it goes bad, you know, you're like, well, the door's closed. How can I smell it? Yeah, everyone can still smell it even through the refrigerator. You may stuff stuff down in your soul and you think nobody else knows about it but you. We all smell it. Yeah, we're just waiting for you to, to open up the door. We see it. We love you. We've all been there. So go ahead and open up and become real. Let's go back to school. Let's be people who say, teach me. Train me and change me. You know, Jesus' plan never required perfection. It only required humility, some hard work, and lots of faith. 
That's Jesus' plan. Theodore Roosevelt said, It is not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. No, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, and who comes up short again and again, who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself or herself on a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he or she fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place or her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Let's be men and women who go back to school, who say, teach me, train me, and change me. Thank you. Amen. <laughs>